Hey guys. Hello everybody. Welcome to uh, Single Minded Conversations. I'm your host, Jesse Single. I'm a uh, podcaster and journalist. Uh, my main podcast is over at Block to Reported with Katie Herzog. Uh, I'm in Cuba at the moment, so these have been very sort of uh, off the cuff, just trying to do them when I can and when I have uh, internet access. I'm um, tethered to my friend's heroic Canadian phone. So this is basically mostly just going to be me taking whatever questions you guys have. Smaller crowd than usual, but that's fine. More more intimate. Um, the one thing I want to talk about was there's like obviously this kind of um, online addiction those of us who are on Twitter or other social media suffer from. And I think it I don't know. I, I, I never want to be a fear monger or a Luddite when it comes to social media because there's off, obviously been wave after wave of moral panic about TV and radio and everything else. And if any of you guys already have a culture, uh, question or comment on anything, just get in the queue now and I'll, I'll call on you shortly. Um, so you want to be careful. You don't want to sound like the people who are railing about how radio or jazz music would destroy society. But it's undeniably the case that if you spend a lot of time on Twitter and if you're addicted to it, like many journalists and academics are, or a sizable number of us, it, it changes the way you think. It changes how you react to stuff. It changes the kinds of observations that pop into your head. I, I think it clearly crowds certain stuff out and at the expense of other less important and sort of more knee-jerk stuff. And I was thinking about that because of this ridiculous thing where Vladimir Putin is claiming that his horrific invasion of Ukraine and the war crimes he's committing there has something to do with J.K. Rowling and cancel culture. And it was interesting watching people basically take the bait because this is such a laughable claim that there is any connection between this historic horrible invasion and all the people he is killing and whatever you think of the jk rowling thing that's not connected to it it's a completely different thing completely different much lower stakes um so the response to that should be this is a very cynical move on his part he's trying to connect his horrific war crimes actual war crimes crimes against humanity he's trying to connect those to culture war bullshit in the uk and the u.s but because of the way online melts people's brains, that's not what's happening. People aren't brushing it off. They're saying, yeah, wow, see, he's on, he's on team Rowling. He's with the turfs. And this is just so unhealthy that it's hard to even know how to describe it. I mean, you, you, you couldn't make this up to think that because of his cynical invocation of cancel culture, whatever that means in this case, you can say, oh, yeah, he's, I, I, if it is that important, to you to have ammo to use in your war against jk rowling or whatever uh, you should just think about how being on twitter this much is affecting your life and your priorities because none of this has anything to do with that it goes without saying that um the sorts of people called turfs would not be very popular in russia they're they're second wave feminists a lot of them are lesbians these are not people who have done well in russia historically um <laughs> i just i don't know it's, anyway Jay, other people should get in queue but what's up jacob Hey, Jesse. How's it going? Good. How are you? I am lovely, thank you. How are things in whatever part of the island you're on now? Are you in Havana? Or... Yeah, I'm back in Havana before I leave tomorrow, but we were in um, Vinales, which is this sort of... There's some clicking in the background, by the way, on your mic. Um, oh. Uh, Vin... I posted a couple of photos. Vinales is this like amazing sort of valley area with these big sort of... They're not quite mountains, but they're just these 
dramatic big pillars almost rising out of the valley floor. It's just an amazing place, and uh, I'm very glad I got to be there. Have you been enjoying lots of Cuban rum and cigars down there, or is that not <laughs> vices of I have not. I've, I've actually somehow never smoked tobacco, um, so I'm I'm not going to, which I think a lot of people will be mad at me for not taking advantage of the cigars here, but that's just not my not my thing. Well, there's certainly other plant medicines that might be available on the island as well. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I was actually just uh, curious to know what uh, what your thoughts are on sort of the rebundling of people who have unbundled. Like, we've recently seen new outlets popping up, such as Puck News, which is like basically a bunch of sub stacks that are just available under one subscription, essentially. And there's been, like, certain similar type efforts, like whatever it is that Ben Smith is building with his operation. And I'm sort of, like, curious to know what you think of how that next future of media may go, considering that you obviously have the Substack and as well as the podcast with Katie. And there's lots of other similar sort of what you might call non-aligned type thinkers who are trying to move out on their own. But there's been sort of, I wouldn't call it a backlash, but skepticism from people who are just like, when I pay five bucks to Jesse and five bucks to Barry Weiss and five bucks to Glenn Greenwald, et cetera, et cetera, it just adds up really fast. And I'm wondering what you think of operations like Puck News or others that will combine those non-aligned thinkers. Yeah, there's... um. I mean, there's a few different things. One is there's a difference between launching like a scrappy startup um, in the vein of like something like, okay, you you can start a magazine where you're going to have people, uh, here, let me let it back. Uh, Yeah, my audio. You can start a magazine, you can start a magazine where you have different people contribute and you pay them freelance rates. That's different from starting a magazine where you're paying five or 10 or 20 people a salary, which is the hardest kind of thing to maintain because you need so much money coming in or to raise so much. And those are both different from starting like a profit sharing group Substack. Um, my argument all along has been that it is going to be hard to get people at like mid-tier and up on Substack. It's going to be hard to convince them to join any group project in a way that would threaten the successes of their own ventures because it's just such a better deal than it's just a very good deal if you're mid-tier and up. And people like Glenn Greenwald, I think, uh, or even me, much smaller than Glenn Greenwald, when we join other stuff, like when I join Colin, I'm not giving up my Substack. I'm not giving up Block and Reporter. It's just more. I, I would be very loath to make any decision that would risk what I've already built with Block and Reported or with my Substack. So it, it would just be hard to convince me to... Um, jeopardize any of that i i think some of, i like the sort of you know i also like drift mag they, i think they're doing some good stuff but i don't get the sense they're spending a huge amount of money or have a huge number of staffers and i think that's the model of journalism that is in many ways the most valuable and the toughest to pull off these days is like having a bunch of staffers who you really support and having a lot of strong editing and having infrastructure that's what i'm most worried about Gotcha. Yeah, that makes sense because I just feel like for a lot of actual readers, at a certain point, certain people just will be cut because I'm only going to spend XYZ on media every month and that $5 to 35 different people just becomes a lot. And I'm wondering yes. who ends up I'm, getting I, I, left out in the cold when that happens. 
I think, yeah, I think the fir- earlier adopters will are on this uh, soundest footing. I'm worried about that too, for obvious reasons, but for what it's worth, I'm not seeing any sign on either the bar pod front or my newsletter front that they're like the market is saturated and we can't find new readers. Um, Sometimes you get a drop. I mean, interestingly, I just had a drop in my Substack readers, and I realized it was because a year ago, last March, I was involved in a very dumb online controversy involving someone named uh, Jude Doyle, and it was it was so ridiculous that a, a flood of people bought one year subscriptions to my newsletter just as signs of support. But they weren't they weren't like the kinds of people who are really going to subscribe in the long term or read me that much. So it makes sense that a year after that, you'd see them drop back off. So there's going to be like ups and downs. But um, all my experience of crowd uh, that clicking to the background again, just so you know, everyone oh. can hear that. My, so far, my experience of crowdfunding has that been like if you achieve a certain level of success for now, like since 2019, when I started doing all this, it, it seems to steadily go up. And I'm not aware of a lot of crowdfunded sort of media properties um, that really experienced a major decline unless like someone laughed or there was a scandal or something. So for now, it seems to be working. But in theory, I think you're right that there could be saturation at some point, And I'm obviously worried about that. Yeah, that makes sense. And also, very easy question to, well, I don't know if there's anybody else who wants to come up on stage, but I was wondering if you knew what a woman was. <laughs> Other people should get in the queue. Uh, I, I'm fine saying a woman is an adult human female and then quickly saying that I also think we should include people who identify as women in most situations, but there's all, obviously some situations where biology matters. Um, I think people are really screwing this up because everyone so everyone's laughing at um like tucker carlson having like a, a doing his segment with like the image of the female reproductive system and i i understand why you think it's funny but i i don't think people understand how unpopular some of this stuff is and the number of emails i get from people who are definitely democrats and definitely liberals who are like i have no idea why people are talking about birthing people or uterus havers um the first time they encounter this stuff, they find it very off-putting. They're not emailing me to like say that they're scared of trans women in bathrooms or that they're disgusted by trans people. They're emailing me because they're uncomfortable with certain changes to language that uh, seem to be being, to a certain extent, like foisted on us. And um, I don't know. I, I think it's fun to laugh at Tucker Carlson, but I think people, I think Tucker Carlson understands in this case where like Americans are at, and I think. Republicans and conservatives are be able, going to be able to really like rack up the score on this stuff wherever it pops up for a long time until we can just come up with better messaging on it. Yeah, but like it came up this week in the context of the broader Supreme Court confirmation yeah. hearings, and I really do have to say that uh, Republican Senator Ben Sass during that hearing actually made the case against putting cameras in courtrooms, which has been a popular issue in some places that have wanted to inc- increase judicial transparency. And I just can't help but thinking he's right, because I just don't think it would be good for the justice system if we did start having, whether it's judges or you know lawyers for plaintiffs or defendants or whatever trying to perform for those cameras i actually do think it probably would be a net negative for the justice system and i think the existence of c-span really only proves that yeah i mean i think there's trade-offs obviously you want some degree of transparency but i i definitely get what you're saying you don't want people like mugging for the camera and trying to score cheap points and stuff like that 
Yeah, and like I wonder if like some sort of compromise could be worked out. Like cameras will be allowed, but you know, video recordings won't be released for at least three months or whatever it is. So you could have that level of transparency, but in three months from now, that five minute clip of somebody badgering some witness they don't like is not going to go viral on Fox or MSNBC or what have you the way it might the day of. Yeah. Um, I just got a message from Colin saying um, some some usual notification didn't pop up when this episode went up. Did anyone not I, see a usual? I didn't get one. I only dialed into this because I saw on Twitter that you tweeted it would be up in 15 minutes. And uh, I figured at some point, oh, it's about 15 minutes, 20 minutes from that tweet. So gotcha. yeah, I did well, not get a notification. Okay. I don't. Yeah, I don't know if any of the other 12 listeners did, but that might be why the audience is so small relative to other days. Yeah, it's no big deal. I don't mind a uh, slightly smaller crowd. People should, um, I'm checking my settings to make sure there's nothing off. Uh, other folks with any questions or comments, though, should not be shy about getting in the queue. Um, I see that I will say- and Colin are here. Oh, go ahead. Oh no! I was just—I I haven't been out of the country for a while. This is a random observation, but <laughs> such a—it's ra- very random. But I—I I do like just being able to, on the street, just like stick your hand out and um, just a random person will pick you up and take you wherever you want for a small amount of money. This is definitely an American traveling, developing world thing. That's uh, not new to probably people who travel in various parts of Africa and Asia. But it's just sort of the—the the, actually very very easy to get around and. Uh, yeah, I don't know why that popped into my head, but that's yeah. my observation about Cuba. Oh, it's very interesting to be an American traveling overseas, especially in remote parts of more developing nations. Yeah, you definitely get to see some interesting stuff. Yeah. Um, but, yes. Anyway, do they have? Uh, oh, go ahead. Oh, do they have what? Go ahead. I was going to say, is there anything like? an uber type service or is the availability of mobile service too like primitive or not not, not primitive but not necessarily strong enough to actually offer that kind of real-time navigation and whatnot they definitely don't have uber i I think there's been an explosion of cell phone of um smartphones here in recent years so you see a lot of people with like iphones and stuff i mean i think they're still harder to get but i'm not aware of any uber-like service and i actually think the sort of that system of informal cabs would make it harder because you don't you don't need that because it's like you constantly see cubans just standing out one lane into the street with a handout trying to hail anyone who wants to give them a ride so it's uh easy to get around yeah i'll turn it over to shauna but my impression was that digital life is proliferating more and more there in recent yeah, it also goes without saying that the government would not allow Uber in just because it it is a, a socialist government and they don't like stuff. <laughs> that like hasn't that. stopped anyway, Uber thank you before, for the call, Jacob. That's true. <laughs> they'll just they'll just launch it. Uh, what's up, Shauna? Howdy. Okay, I have a quick question and unrealistic demand upon you because I give you all of like ten dollars a month, so that makes me feel like I can put uh, unrealistic demands on you. But when do you plan on having live events for this podcast and your other little podcast with that other person? Um, we're in the process. We were very close to locking stuff down. We're having some issues with the... Um, we're just having some annoying logistical issues that have nothing to do with our 
our desire to do this is strong. We were close to locking down venues. I, I, I can't get into it, but I, I want to do it very badly. And we might be on the verge of announcing one event at a conference um, that won't be a separate event, but anyone at the conference will be able to do it. So we want to do, I really want to do this. I've been wanting to do this for a year and a half now, and it's annoying to me. It's taking so long, but we're getting closer. So the point. Okay. That was, sorry. I wish I could come up with something else, but I don't want to <laughs> no. myself with toddlers in the background, Jesse. So have it. safe travels. Um, yeah. Good for you. It's, uh, Thank you, Shana. I'm glad you did this trip off. Yeah, it's pretty great. Yeah, I would recommend anyone, um, if you're an American and you come here, you need to, it's sort of annoying, you need to follow certain guidelines because you can't support uh, businesses run or partially run by the government, which is a huge number of them, but, and you need to uh, fit other criteria for this category of support for the Cuban people, but I I don't know, I, I would highly recommend people come here if they're able to, it's once you get here, it is extremely affordable, obviously, although that's sort of for sad reasons of their economy being terrible. And the the history between us and Cuba is so broken and bad. And we've just, we really, there's blame on both sides, but we have fucked them over in so many ways and in such unnecessary ways. And you'll see signs denouncing El Bloqueo everywhere, what they call the blockade, which is, it's not an actual blockade. Um, although a blockade did play an important part in uh, Cuban-American and Spanish history. But, uh, you know, it's a metaphorical blockade in that we mostly don't trade with them and we try to punish other people who trade with them. And it's just, it's hasn't accomplished anything. That, that I think that's the one area where I'm just like a straight lefty on this stuff. I think the blockade is very, very stupid and I think it hurts the Cuban people. And uh, I don't think the elites here have any trouble getting what they need to get. And that was one of the complaints we heard from Cubans we talked to, that uh, it's only some people who have trouble getting eggs and milk and cheese and whatever. Lesser cheese, eggs and milk more. Colin, what's up? Oh, Sean, I didn't mean to cut you off if you want to jump back on. Go ahead, Colin, for now. Okay. Uh, I'll be brief because I have really bad um, I have really bad service where I am, but I, I probably missed this on an earlier conversation, but... Uh... Why are you in Cuba? Uh, I was very curious about it, and I wanted to go, and a friend wanted to go. I'd been trying to travel with this friend for a while, but we got delayed by the uh, pandemic and stuff. Um, so, yeah, it just seemed like an interesting place to go, and it's it's not hard to get there from the uh, New York. So, yeah, that's the short version. And we're actually we're only seeing a tiny chunk of the country because you can go – we only went a little bit of east – of Havana to Varadero after we landed, you can go 12 hours further east. Uh, east to west, I think the state's like, the country's very large and uh, there's a huge amount to see. So, yeah, I don't know. I was just fascinated by it and I hadn't been out of the country since uh, well before the pandemic. So kind of just a, a curiosity sightseeing tour of, of the country. Yeah, and it's, it's obviously like a very weird and in many ways, you know, broken place. Um, Havana has these neighborhoods with just these most the most beautiful epic mansions and architectural styles I can't even describe that are just like, you know, two thirds of them are just falling apart because they were built forever ago and they don't have what they need to maintain them or they're abandoned. But then I don't know. It, it, I, I've never been to a place like this and I, uh, I'm grateful I got to go. Yeah. Uh, just seeing pictures. It, it's looked like a very, uh, very unique place. I look forward to hearing more about your trip. Yeah, the weirdest thing is definitely the the Malacón is like if you if anyone just Google Maps Cuba you'll see this street on the northern 
coast of the city. It's just, I think, seven miles of the most amazing looking out at the Caribbean at these blue waters, uh, waves crashing against the seawall, sometimes up onto the people in the cars. And coming from the States, you just notice that there's almost no commerce there. This is a place where if it were in America or Mexico or the Dominican Republic, it would just be swarming with street vendors and people hawking stuff. And there's like a little bit of that, but it's just in like growing up in the States and, and only traveling in thoroughly capitalist countries, you just, you don't notice the absence of commerce until it's gone. And uh, I definitely like, I, <laughs> I don't know. I think our system has certain excesses, but there's something to be said for, uh, whenever you need to buy something, you can buy it. Obviously, that's not true. That's more true in New York City than other places, but it's uh, very much not true here for a lot of people. Yeah, I, I, that's funny. I'm, I struggle with whether that's a good thing or a bad thing because there's there's a part of me that wants to uh, to buy a bunch of land in the middle of the desert, far away from everybody, yes. and just live out my life, uh, you know, without having to deal with people. And then when I do that and I look at properties, the first thing I do is Google how close the nearest Walmart is. So there's a little <laughs> bit of a hypocrisy in, uh, in, in my planning. Yeah. I mean, I think it's, it's, you can, you don't need to be a radical to understand that there's like, are certain downsides to a system where, you know, vast swaths of America really are just paved over in the same 20 brands. And there's something depressing about that, even it's convenient, but there's also obviously downsides to a, uh, system that is like has historically been very hostile to private enterprise and is only sort of just coming out of that now so um very weird place the, the this is not an original observation for a tourist traveling in a poor place but like the the way the sense in which we can just go to sort of a like a not fancy but like perfectly fine breakfast place and just get a cheap fine breakfast and then a few blocks away there's like the the lines are everywhere for like basic staples any place you see cubans in the big line it's because it's either for gas where the lines are out of control or it's for staples or rations and it's just there's entirely different universes here uh if you're not a tourist or someone with like a huge amount of money by cuban standards but i don't really not an original observation and you know what are you gonna do yeah there's a um there's a a uh, man on TikTok. I, I, I do like to get all of my information on on foreign foreign countries. As you through, should. Yeah, through TikTok. But um, he's a Cuban national, and he pretty much just shows what what daily life is like and how their system works. And um, it kind of it does it does present sort of a dystopian uh, dystopian view. I'm probably it's probably run by the NSA, and I'm being completely duped by it. But I don't know. Maybe. Well. The the NSA must have plants everywhere because we have we have yet to meet a Cuban who's enthusiastic about how things work here. Um, although you know you never know, there could be pockets of major supporters of the revolution who we haven't encountered. What's it? What's the name of this Cuban TikToker? I wish I wish I could shout him out to <laughs> to him, but he just comes up on my feed and I, I oh, gotcha. fall down that rabbit hole every once in a while. But yeah, um, uh, yeah, it, it does. No, it's, it just it's it's it, when you think about like how how for so many people chores and errands can take up even in the states way more of your day than you'd like it to, and it it makes it hard to do other stuff or pursue other interests, and then you just need to imagine a situation where any one of those chores could involve hours of waiting in line just to get what you need to cook dinner that night or or to get gas for for your car. It just I don't know. I think it would like grind people down after a while, but I. 
also it's like you get used to stuff. Like in the States, we get used to some pretty Kafkaesque stuff with our healthcare system that in Denmark or Germany, they would be like, why would you live with that? But people, I guess that's how the, uh, the revolution carries on. People just get used to stuff and they, <laughs> they arrest, uh, outspoken dissidents, but yeah, yeah that, pro- that probably helps. Um, I just imagine if everything to it. was, yeah, if, if every, if everything was a DMV, if everything was like going to <laughs> the it's, it's how right, I would except to get it, but... 24 eggs. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Anyway, anyway thanks, Colin. Yep. Thanks. Joshua. How's it going, Joshua? It's good, man. You, uh, you enjoying your vacation over there? I am. I'm trying. Have you? Oh, wait. We, you're, I'm always obsessed with food photos. I think we've talked about this. Is this is a blueberry cobbler in your photo? Yeah, something like the partner of mine. She, she, she was tantalizing, teasing the potential of it. Uh, so yeah. awesome. Yeah, it's like a a, a, nude, a nude photo except with a cobbler. Come yeah, on over. Yeah, no, I prefer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this one pulls me over every time. Um, I uh, so without mentioning, you, you know, talking about the country specific that you're in, even though I think that Cuba right now is just like a very casually lazy um autocratic regime um but uh i'm interested in your thoughts of especially with everything that's going on uh in ukraine right now and in response to it how we're turning to uh venezuela or iran and saying hey let's you know why don't we kind of find creative ways to decrease sanctions on these comp, uh, on these countries. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm interested in your thoughts on countries that were either adverse against or their frenemies or their full on, uh, allies, but they are, they treat their people horribly and we condemn them, but, you know, sell them, you know, fighter jets and cruise missiles, What's your thoughts on like the real politic of the situation? Like, do you do you think that America is it's time for kind of uh, an idealistic pivot, or how do you think we manage this? Oh man, I I know so little about energy; it's hard for me to answer this. Other than that, like, it's clearly a deeply broken and pathetic situation when we have to turn to these other countries. Um, I guess maybe I've just grown. I hate to say this, there, there's such a stigma against being like, we should produce more of our own energy. And I, to be honest, I don't even know if like how that works, like how much more could we produce? How much environmental damage would it do? But I, uh, I just basically feel despair when I hear this stuff. It also, it does make me think about how uh, <laughs> when you, with the, the restrictions on travel and trade with Cuba versus <laughs> Think about like the weapons we give to Saudi Arabia and what we do with them. We're we're just such a yeah. principleist superpower in terms of who we support and why. And I think we just have no moral standing at all. And I find that disappointing. But it's probably unrealistic to think there's there will ever be a time in world history when the most po- uh, powerful country is like morally upright. I think those two things are probably at odds with one another. But um, yeah, unfortunately, I don't I don't even know who like the best people to read are on the energy question. Cause it's an so, area where I have so little, knowledge. not even necessarily on energy, but just on the fact of being real politic in the face of working with countries, both that are, were partially, you know, um, sanctioning, for example, like Venezuela, but also 
countries like Saudi Arabia that are, you know, are allies, but, you know, like bombing Yemen and treat their own citizens horribly. And I guess I'm kind of interested on the greater scale of things in terms of your view of um, international policies of, of friends, of allies that are doing horrible things and kind of whether, how do we manage the realism that, yeah, we do benefit from, for example, our relationship from Saudi Arabia. It's, you know, it's, it, it's only in general net gain, but ideologically, obviously, we, we kind of lose the moral high ground when we uh, partner an ally. Yeah, I, I think, um, I mean, I, I just think at the end of the day, in terms of what would happen to the U.S. and the economic damage it would do if we really lost access to uh, energy, um, it seems inevitable that we're going to have to partner with pretty evil people. I don't really see a way around that because it's easy to complain about it, but I think the alternative is a huge amount of suffering that wouldn't be distributed equally. So um, I guess that's the case for real politics, but uh, it's not it's just it's incredibly depressing to think about. I'm sorry, I'm not more insightful than that. It's just so far from my area of expertise. No, no, it's uh, I, I don't have a solution either. I, I, I wonder if maybe I, I previously wondered if maybe NATO could have been replaced by an organization that simply accepts all members that are truly democratic. And then you have to create yeah. some kind of standard for that. But I think that with the recent conflict, NATO is here to stay whether that's good or bad for the foreseeable future. So thanks for answering the question. Enjoy the vacation. Thanks, Joshua. Shauna, sorry to cut you off before. Nope. I just wanted to add on, you were talking about who to read on uh, the energy issue and solutions. Michael Schellenberger, um, I know he makes the rounds quite a bit, but uh, he's an interesting read to see how his ideas have transformed over time based on research and basically how we're not going to get to the goal line without nuclear and we got to figure that out uh, domestically. So that's all I wanted to add that he's a good read. Yeah, like at one point, at some point, I I need to learn more about the nuclear stuff because I share the same um, intuition. I, I think because meltdowns and nuclear accidents are so horrible, uh, People don't understand, aren't able to really rationally compare the sort of per kilowatt hour damage, uh, like negative externalities of nuclear versus something like oil, which is obviously much higher and uh, more destructive. So that's just one of those areas where I am inclined to agree with pro-nuclear people, but I just haven't yet like done the homework of, of I, I need to better understand like what the fears are and, and to what extent they're overhyped. I feel like they're overhyped. And you read stories of people, uh, countries shutting down nuclear and immediately having to switch to dirtier power sources, which seems really bad. Right. And I think comparing it to, let's say, France, um, and I don't remember the percentage, but they have a relatively high percentage of their energy coming from nuclear power. Yeah. And I'm not on my own. I, I have on my list to research why California just um, their nuclear plants and what the hypothesis and reasoning is behind that. Yeah, that's a separate issue. But yeah, obviously nuclear has a quote unquote marketing issue, but that should not stand in people's way of demanding more to understand it better, to uh, to market it better, frankly, because at at the end of the day, you need a culmination of outlets and and venues and 
and pathways to get us where we to be globally. And you just cannot, at least the stuff that I've read, you cannot get there uh, realistically without nuclear being part of the package. Yeah, that, uh, I think that line that we can't get where we need to be without nuclear, I, I, that seems undeniable to me. But um, yeah, anyway, I, I appreciate that, Shana. Um, well, thank you everyone for tuning in. This was a slightly weird and shorter than usual episode because I announced it so quickly and I guess the notification didn't go out, which is unfortunate. I'll try to look into why that happened. But uh, I appreciate you guys tuning in even when I'm on the road and I'll be back with some more uh, standard fare flying back tomorrow and I'll have more guests and stuff. Uh, as always, I'll, I'd ask you guys to um, spread the word about the show. Tell people it's not usually this weird. Uh, usually the uh, notification goes out. But thank you guys very much for listening and I will. Uh, you'll hear from me soon.